Can a classic outlive its classic status? My name's Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about board games as they'd like to know. This week, it's time to turn the game's spotlight on a game that redefined what was considered possible on the tabletop. Welcome back to The Snakes Cast. Back to join me this week are Steve Tassie. Hello. And David Kingsmill. Hello there. Okay, let's get this over with right away. <laughs> 1995's The Settlers of Catan by Klaus Teuber is a genre-defining classic that changed the world of board games forever. Agree or disagree? Uh, <laughs> agree, yes. However, uh-huh. uh, it may have outlived its usefulness. All right, David? Uh, yeah, I think if, if it were to be... A question I could answer based on being in the now. I'd like to say no, but I don't think you can say no. I think it, it, it's, yes, it absolutely did something at its time. But the, the bigger question is, is that still true today? And I have to wonder, was it that the time was ready for a game to cross the ocean yeah. and make a, a big splash in the world of gaming? Mm-hmm. Or was it something inherent about Catan itself? Uh, that made it become the the touchstone in the gaming industry that it is. Like, w- would any moderately good Euro game uh, that won the Spiel des Jahres, had it come out in 95 instead of Settlers, would we now all be talking about how Carcassonne was the defining moment in, in Euro games or, you know, any of the other numerous... Mm. SDJ winners that that exist. We'll examine that question, but for now, let's take a look at that moment in board gaming history, and this and and, and look at the historical significance of Catan. It's it's now just called Catan. It used to be called the Settlers of Catan. Now it's just Catan. It's been rebranded. Yeah. Although but, most people still call it Settlers, <laughs> <laughs> affectionately. But, so, okay, 1995. Magic the Gathering has done its thing. Collectible card games are now a big deal. Hobby games are on the rise. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition is, uh, is, is sort of happening in this area. And traditional North American-style games are beginning to gain traction again after some time in the wilderness. Uh, European-style games, though, have, have not really quite arrived yet. This idea of games with relatively simple rules, nonviolent subject matter, and, uh, and subtle player interactions have not yet become a thing. So this bomb drops. What did Settlers bring to the table that was so revolutionary and so different from what had been seen on tabletops in North America up to that point? I think one of the biggest things that it brought was the idea of a board that's different every time you play the game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, there were games like, say, Hero Quest, where you would set up as as the dungeon master of the game, you would set up the scenario and, and it would be a different dungeon than what it was last time. But the board's really the same and you're just deciding where to put things. Whereas with Settlers... By rearranging the location of the tiles, by rearranging the location of the numbers, you can make a really easy, gentle game where everyone's going to be able to have their room and get their resources, or you can make an extremely punishing game where misplacement of your initial settlements at the start of the game can ruin you. (laughs) What else did Settlers bring to the table? I think it brought a new way of playing games. 
in the sense of what do you what do you have kind of before what are, what are the, the the classic games that we look back on as being big big prior you're looking at things like uh your scrabbles where you're kind of putting letters into an order or monopoly where you're rolling and moving around a board and it's a it's a very kind of not pre-programmed exactly because there is some randomization there but the things that you do are fairly limited whereas in in settlers one of the things that came out that for for me i think was so important about it is the option of so many decision trees about which you know you 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 build one settlement somewhere you suddenly have multiple ways you can go you can go and approach that and if you go for that mountain it's going to make your late game potentially easier but you're going to have some trouble in the early game things like that and you could affect your own game i think a lot more than you previously could so you had more control yeah but equally a little bit you know you've got chaos going on in your mind because you've got to work out what to do with that control and so there's the fun of that uh slight insecurity i suppose so how about personal experiences what has this game meant to you Staying up for 24 hours and playing games? <laughs> <laughs> we'll mention the Catanathon later, I think. Uh, Catan actually doesn't hold a lot of place in my gaming life. It was not even remotely the first game that I ever played. It wasn't even the first Euro game that I ever played. Um, I, I think Puerto Rico might have been. Um, maybe Carcassonne, I'm not sure which, but, um, yeah, I didn't play Catan until it had been around for, you know, a half dozen years or so. Um, so for me it was kind of a, oh, yeah, that's, it's not a bad game. Um, it wasn't the door opening world busting game (laughs) that it has been for a lot of people. Yeah, I, my my experience was um, I, I I flippantly said staying up for twenty four hours, but that's actually the, the largest exposure to Catan I've ever had. Mm. Um, I, I will admit, I can admit now because I I you know I'm in place in the company, but I play Catan <laughs> for the first time a week before my interview for Snakes because I thought wow. I ought to know it, um, <laughs> and I played it and I wasn't massively blown away by it, and I've never really rushed to play it since. I will do, but it's not been. Um, again, I think as with Steve, it's not been the defining thing that it has been for a lot of people and still, I think can be. Sounds like all three of us have a fairly dispassionate view of this game and what it represents. So let's, let's, let's take that dispassion into this and see if we can get a good sort of objective view of it for our listeners who may not be that familiar with what the game is, where it comes from and how it works. Now, the Snakes cast is intended for casual game players, so for the benefit of listeners who haven't played or maybe heard of somebody talk loosely about how amazing this game is, but they have no idea what it's actually like, let's briefly go over it. What is this game about? How do you play it? Well, you're looking at a board that represents the island of Catan, and on this board you'll see hexes with five different resources on them, uh, which are wood, brick, sheep, uh, wheat, and stone. And you're essentially set- settling the island, so placing down settlements and roads, building your little empire, and every turn you're going to roll a die, and uh, the number that comes up represents the resources that produce that turn, and if you have a settlement nearby, bang, you get resources. And so does everybody else who has a settlement. Yes. yes. Yeah, the, the die rolling at the start of your turn is um, actually one of the neatest things about mm-hmm. Catan, because it means that on your turn, other people get stuff, which isn't a common thing in games yeah, or at least everybody it certainly wasn't you're, you're rolling dice to find out what everybody yeah gets. it's not just i'm now setting up my turn it's i roll the dice and possibly i get nothing 
and someone else gets a whole bunch of stuff depending on the luck of the die roll, how well I've placed my settlements, and so on. Or whether you set up one of those punishing maps you were talking about. (laughs) So how do you win this game? First one to ten points. And how do you get points? You get points by building your settlements um, and upgrading them to cities, and also from uh, the um, cards that you can actually buy that give you some benefits you might be able to play in-game, but a lot of them are also secret points that you hide away until you go, Ha! I win! And there are also two titles that are available in the game which are worth victory points. The player with the longest road gets two points, and the player who has the biggest army amassed gets two points. And one of the the central key, I think, to Settlers of Catan is that all these things that you can buy and build that are worth points are going to require you to spend resources. Like you want to build a road, that'll be one clay, one wood. You want to upgrade a settlement to a city, you're going to need uh, two grain and three ore. Thing is, though, they almost always have too much of one thing and not enough of something else. So if you need mm-hmm. want to get anywhere in this game, you're always having to trade. Trading, <laughs> negotiating. That's the heart and soul of Catan. That's really what it's about: is wheeling and dealing with the other players. I think that one of um, one of the best things that Catan did was it took the negotiating that is just a natural human function mm-hmm. and consciously made it part of the game. Like, I'm pretty sure that everyone out there who's ever played Monopoly has negotiated with their little brother or with their best friend and, you know, made a deal. Oh, I I know I landed on Boardwalk and I know I owe you $400, but (laughs) how about I give you $100 now and then I'll give you the next two times I pass go, I'll give you everything that I get right. That, that negotiation, uh, you know, when I was a kid, we had a thing called the Metro Pass. You could, you could pay someone money now and like the next three lands on their territory, you don't have to pay them rent. Um, and so that's just an, an innate thing that people do. We want to make deals. We want to negotiate. We want to try to get the better side of things. Uh, and Catan, takes that concept, that just psychological behavior humans do, and actually builds it into being an integral part of the Mm -hmm. game. You could play Monopoly without ever negotiating. Just pay the money that you owe, and that's the game. So boring. uh, But Catan needs negotiation, which is why it is so terrible uh, as a two-player game, and no one should ever play it two-player. They say it on the box, don't play it two-player, but that doesn't stop people. It should stop people. Just stop. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I think the the one thing that uh, I, I sort of, just to play devil's advocate for a minute, but I think that the trading is also the one thing that can bring the game down a little bit. Oh, yeah. Because you're saying, you know, you play Monopoly without trading and it's incredibly boring. You can, It's also possible, and I've done this once, uh, to sit around a Catan table with a bunch of people who are going to refuse to trade because they don't want to help the other players in any way. And as soon as that happens, the game does shut down. So it's one of those things you need an open group for. If you ever need to break that particular loggerhead, uh, there is a way to do it, though. And that is to, uh, to give the following explanation. Supposing the four of us, you know, Steve, David, Trevor, and I, we're all playing a game of Catan. And supposing I make a deal of some kind. I give Steve some resources, he gives me some resources, and as a result of the stuff that we got out of this deal, I can build stuff that's worth one point, and Steve can build stuff that's worth two points. So that's a bad deal for me, right? Probably shouldn't have done that. Supposing I make a similar deal with David, and then I make another similar deal with Trevor. 
So I must be a complete moron. I've made three bad deals now. Except how many points no, do we all have? You have more than any. You have two. Opponent. You have two. You have two. I have three. Mm. That is the. That's really what comes down to the, the the key to winning at settlers. It's not about strategy or tactics. It's about social skills. Yeah. Cooperate with everyone. And as long as you're on the benefiting end of every single deal, just a little bit, you are doing better than anyone else. Even if they benefit more than you do from any individual deal. Yep. And don't do what I did to Steve last Catanathon and shut him down completely in the first game we played. <laughs> hey, if somebody is ahead in points, then a trade embargo is thoroughly advised. Oh no, Seriously. I did this way too early for him to be ahead in points. <laughs> I just made a complete enemy of myself for everybody else. Anyway. That's another part of the appeal of the game too. It's, it's much more than most uh, European style games. It's much more interactive. There's a lot mm. more ways to do things to the other players. Whether yeah. it's stealing their stuff with the robber or arranging a trade embargo so they can't get the resources that they need. Yeah. Or just being a jerk about where you build yep. that can uh, block yeah, them off so they can't get access to the areas of the board they're trying to get to. one resource off which I've also seen done. Oh. Uh, again with a punishing map usually but if you have all three tiles of one resource next to each other and somebody locks them up well, not much you're going to be doing. Guess you don't get any more <laughs> of this game. One other thing just to jump back that I've just realized that it does add to the uh, it brings new to the table as well is I think for a lot of people who grew up playing Monopoly and playing whatever version of Monopoly they played um, free parking doesn't do anything. Catan doesn't open itself up as easily for those types of people to house ruling. Mm. You are much more likely to be playing the real Catan every time you play Catan than you are with some of the games that came previously. Well, it's interesting enough, and there's enough st stuff going on, that yeah. there's no need to add anything else. But it's also very clear about itself, whereas I think, you know, how I don't know how free parking came to be, but how on earth somebody came to the... I think they just well, didn't just want a square that did nothing. Exactly. Why should a component of a game do nothing? Why should there be a scene in a movie that does nothing, that contributes nothing to <laughs> yeah. the story? I mean, everything should have a purpose, and people want things to have a purpose, and, well, when you've got stuff that doesn't... <laughs> So let's talk impact. There is a pre-Catan world and a post-Catan world when it comes to board games on the design side, on the industry side, and on the hobby and culture side. How are those two worlds different? I think Catan, one of the things it did by coming over was spark a new generation of game design. Uh, they, all of these mechanics that suddenly came over from Europe, even if they're not necessarily going into a Euro game, are going into games and putting something that wasn't there before. And I think that's possibly also why the three of us, or the, or the four of us, can sit around this table and uh, not necessarily be as enthusiastic as people were in 1995, because we have seen that those mechanics improved upon through either expansions to Catan itself, or other games that have taken it and gone let's 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 use this mechanic let's use this random dice roll or this variable board setup or whatever it is for a purpose but evolve it to fit our new game and i think that's a big deal yeah uh, it's also it itself was a very euro game you yeah know, you, mm. you can't you cannot say that that it has elements of of American North American style gaming, it doesn't. It is a Euro game, uh, and it opened the door for more Euro games to hit the market. Mm. And the interesting thing that it, that that caused is we are now seeing hybrid games. Mm. We are seeing a blend of gaming styles and mechanical styles that we wouldn't be seeing if Catan hadn't kicked in that door to the North American market. 
we now see games that have more direct conflict like North American style games do, but involving Euro sensibilities and Euro mechanics. Um, it's getting harder and harder to just make a definitive statement about mm-hmm. this is a North American game. This is a Euro game. You can trace their influences, but it's yeah. hard to categorize more yeah. and more of the games. Eric out. Lang is an excellent disc- sort of mm. example of that. You look at Blood Rage or The Godfather, which I've had the privilege of playtesting, and they're both games that smash the two styles together so hard that you've almost lost where the <laughs> line is. Uh, between what's going on and actually you know you even see it there was a, a young designer who who brought a game to snakes recently summit um which is a mountain mm-hmm. climbing game that was up and i played that and it's the same thing it's it's euro in its mechanics but you're drawing all these cards that have cool effects on you know an avalanche or whatever and it, it the, the line blurs in 95 i feel like there was a real hunger for something like Catan to show up. The games that existed in the hobby space at that point had a tendency to be very complex, very detailed, uh, very focused on either science fiction or fantasy, Mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of fiddly rules to remember and so on. Settlers was considered to be a gateway game at the time Mm. because it was so much simpler than a lot of Mm -hmm. the other sort of uh, big titles back then. And today, Forget it. I mean, it's it, it's, it's, it's practically consi- Byzantine yeah. in its complexity compared to, <laughs> to ride, a number of other. Carcassonne. Uh, the again, I go back to the SDJ because it, mm-hmm. it it won it. And, that's Spiel des Jahres. If yeah. you're not aware of that, this so, big uh, this big uh, prestigious game of the year award that's granted in Germany, yeah. and which now has become a huge thing. And Settlers was the first game I think to to hit it big in that, and it was a classic Spiel des Jahres game in that it sort of brought new ideas and fresh gameplay mm-hmm. to old tried and true elements that but existed before modern sdj winners are tend to be super simple compared yep. to Catan, mm. and Catan was super simple compared to the north american games of its day it was really kind of a harbinger of the opening of the world of games to a larger audience it's mm. no longer nearly as niche as it was the idea that games can be for everyone is something that was really kind of brought to the world by Catan. That's one of the great achievements. And I game. think one thing it did that's quite nice, actually, which I've only just thought of, but it allows you to number crunch a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a luck element to it, of course, in rolling the dice and, and things like that. But you can number crunch without having to be an accountant or a coder. Exactly. You, it's, it, it allows you know the average Joe to play a game where they can actually kind of see the ending coming. And we had that episode. Feel smart. Yeah, we had that episode a while ago about people who don't want luck in games. They want mm-hmm. to be able to plan their game out. And to a fairly hefty extent, you can do that with Catan. And I think that's a nice thing. Whereas with Monopoly... You know, how do you plan your game in Monopoly? You, you're rolling a dice, you're landing somewhere. Goodness only knows what's going to happen. There's only so far ahead you can go with that. So is Catan still worth playing today? Um, for some people, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm at the point with the game where if somebody pulls it out and says, hey, let's play a game and let's play Catan, I'm not going to say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, will, I will sit down and I will enjoy it. Um, but I don't even have it in my collection anymore. Mm. Uh, I gave my copy to Snakes so that Snakes would have another copy. Because <laughs> we, we needed it. <laughs> we needed it. We'd we go, go through, through a ton of it. Yeah. Um, I think that it's no longer an essential game for a brand new gamer to play. Mm. Agreed. I think that if you are... If you have played a bunch of gateways and you want to go deeper into the hobby and you want to, you you consider yourself to be a hobbyist, 
then yes, you need to have played it. You need, you need to, to know your history. You need to know your history. You need to understand it. Um, it does a lot of things that many games do. So being familiar with where those things came from mm. is is really good and useful. Um, but I no longer would recommend it as somebody's first game. I still do mm. recommend it to diverse groups. One thing that I think that Settlers also brought to the table, which allowed it to explode the way it did, was the fact that it has so much going on. There's yeah. there's so many different appeal elements in the game. It's got luck. It's got negotiation. It's got tactics. It's got strategy. It's got resource management. It's got risk management. It's All, got a lack of downtime, which is a super nice feature, too. especially in a Euro game. You're always engaged with the game. All these things combined to make yeah. it a sort of a kitchen sink game where anybody, almost <laughs> anybody, can find something to enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I, I kind of lie on Steve's line of, of not necessarily recommending it. But one thing I will say is I think it can still be a gateway because people have heard of it a lot. Uh, it, it might be an easier way of pulling people into the hobby than, uh, you know, saying, oh, you know, you want a game? Let's, let's roll some dice. Here's Can't Stop or Strike, which might inherently be slightly simpler games to actually play or something like that. If you want card drawing, Ticket to Ride. I, I've never heard of Ticket to Ride, but mm-hmm. I've heard of Catan. And I think that allows you to get it to the table with some people who might not otherwise jump at the chance and especially with things like because big bang theory played it right i think in one of the episodes that puts it in you know regardless of what you think about the show it has taken there's a popular culture thing that has taken something and placed it and that puts it into people's minds in a way that you know just coming in and looking at our wall wouldn't do That's it for this week. If you're a Catan player, or if you'd like to be, you can test your skills in the Catan Showdown tonight, Tuesday the 28th of June, 2016, at Snakes and Lattes College. That's at 489 College Street in Toronto. You can get your tickets online at snakesandlattes.com until 5pm today, and if you don't know how to play, never fear. All I have to do is come by an hour early at 6pm, and we'll be running a how-to-play event before the action gets underway at 7. Steve, David, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Snakescast is produced by P.G. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. Watch for our annual Catanathon taking place later this year. Steve, when's that going to be starting? Uh, that will be in November. We don't know exactly what date it will be, but it's usually a Friday evening in November that it gets underway. Keep listening. Till next time, game on. Game on.